and the top 10 talk podcasts. Yes. So, shall we start at number 10? It seems like a good place to start. Number 10 is Fear of a Black Dragon, which, as we know, won an Emmy in 2018 for Best Podcast. Okay, number nine. Number nine. Uh, again, this is actually one I've also listened to, System Mastery. So let's move on to number eight. Oh, yes, yes. Tell us about that one. This one is Gaming and BS. Ooh, nice. BS makes games. Boat show? No. Uh, uh, boat. Boat sinking. Boat sinking? No. Uh, boat vines, pendulum, encephalitis? No. <laughs> yeah, that must be it. That must be it, yeah. It's BSE. Goodness. <laughs> BSE. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. uh, <laughs> about the brain expanding, so it's just like cows with spongy brains. So I think our listeners do know what BS stands for. Well, uh, if you don't, it's not our place to tell you. So um, this is uh, a couple of guys in uh, Wisconsin in mm-hmm. the USA. Yeah. I think uh, they share a workplace or something, and they talk about D&D. I don't know if they share a workplace or not, do they? I got the impression they did. I could be very wrong. You're just making stuff up again. Making stuff up that read off the website <laughs> this morning, yes. Uh, so they, their main topics include things like getting info from players, yeah. seafaring adventures, uh, the OSR, mm-hmm. gaming with kids, playing online, cursed mm-hmm. items, and stuff like that. So they have a main topic each week, yeah, yeah. which is well-player game-related, and they delve into. Mm-hmm. Then they've got a few other sort of uh, segments that yes. they, uh, they touch on. So there's, they've got their random encounter segment, mm-hmm. which is letters and comments from listeners. Mm-hmm. They've got their die roll segment, which they call 2D4 points of miscellaneous geekery. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, good old cow drops. Anyway. So, number seven. Yes. Um, which I believe, and this is the point where you call me an idiot and tell Daryl to edit out everything I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's the official Wizards of the Coast uh, podcast. That is uh, the official DD podcast of Wizards of the Coast. Oh, exactly. Right. I, I, I The Gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast, recorded Sunday, January 27th, 2019. I am Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Backs? Back. Back. Singular. Glad to have you on board. Unless there's more of you. Backs. I don't know. Whatever. You're here. We're here. How the hell are you, Sean? I'm peachy keen, Brett. That's a nice little intro you did there. I didn't know that was coming. Yeah, we got to thank Morris out there from EN World for doing the podcast um, survey where we came in number eight out of I don't know how many that were listed. Well, it's pretty cool. So thanks for whoever nominated us and thanks to everybody who voted for us. We uh, came in right before... The official D and D podcast, <laughs> exactly. and right after, and right after, tales of a uh, green dragon, black dragon, black dragon, black dragon. I say green because his emblem's green. Oh yeah, but it's black. It's black dragon. But it's black dragon. It's black dragon. That's a any any winning award podcast. I know. There. I can't believe we are actually in illustrious company. That's kind of nice. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to that, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes somewhere. Uh, so you can check out some of those. They divided the podcast from actual play to more commentary, and we're certainly in great company. Uh, heavyweights like uh, Happy Jacks mm-hmm. and Fear the Boot, who have been around for like, God, 10, 15 years, and uh, all the rest of the, the gang that's that's been in there. It's, a, it's cool. It's It was one of the pieces that Sean and I, I woke up and 
see a tweet from Sean and go, holy crap, we've been, <laughs> we got voted into a thing. I didn't know we were included in a thing. So, wow, that was pretty, that was neither Sean nor I knew that was coming or that we were on a list anywhere to be voted for. So, yeah, we didn't even push people over there to vote. They just voted on their own some. So that was pretty cool. Well, we put it out on Twitter and Google Plus, but I mean, yeah. still, I wouldn't have expected. So they had 9,000 people that had voted. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Huh. Grognar, the the Grognar files, I think were number two. Pretty cool. So congratulations to everybody. So again, we mentioned this before. If you want a list of our great RPG podcasts, I mean, Ian World's got a thread that's just got them all alphabetical, and there's a ton of them. Yeah, there's uh, they're all good. They're all good places to go. You will find something you like there. Mm-hmm. So, well, Sean, we're supposed to be freezing to death, I think, tomorrow or tonight. Yeah. So if our listeners be- don't hear from us um, after you get this, it means that Sean and I froze to death because it's the snowpocalypse, snowmageddon. The mayor of Madison, Wisconsin, says it's going to be the third worst storm since 1990. Which is funny because he's a mayor. What the fuck does he know about weather? But anyway. There has been maps that I have seen that has minus 60. Six zero, not 16. 67 minus 60 degrees. I think wind chills. You know what I say to that? Bring it on. And Alaska is like 20, yeah. 30. And they're not even in full daylight yet. Yeah. That's Crazy bullshit! Have you, man. Have you I, never dealt with negative? I draw the. You've dealt I with negative the, sixty before. You have, haven't you? Probably. Of course you have. I'm gonna go out there with buckets of water and do that freezing stuff. Last time again. we had that shit here when it got really brutal like that, I had three vehicles at the time. None of them would start. Batteries were dying. Had to borrow jump packs from people. I had to go to work. Kids don't have school. My wife is home. The kids are there, and they went outside with the boiling water. Threw it here. It just explodes. Like flash freezing T-shirts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so again, bring it on. Tauntaun. Yeah. I'm waiting for the Tauntaun to just go right through my parking lot tomorrow tomorrow afternoon. Doop, doop, doop. Well, that's the nice part about it, is the Tauntauns come out this time of year. So if yes. you do get, if you do drive off the side of the road, you simply knock one down, gut it, and crawl in, and you'll be nice that's and warm. That's right. Yeah. Beware of Wampas. Oh, yeah, well, Wampas, that's just, well, standard, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A.K.A. Yeti. Uh, duh. It's a Wampa, man. <laughs> You don't live in Wisconsin and not know about the Wampas. That's just what I'm saying. Anyway, so talking about better and cooler gaming stuff, we're still doing the awesome dice thing, man? Yeah, so we will draw next week on the show who will win the set of dice from awesomedice.com for the month of January. And uh, if you haven't, go over to gamingabs.com, enter your email and we will randomly draw from our email list to get a set of dice from awesomedice.com. If you head over to awesomedice.com and place an order over 10 bucks and you use the promo code GAMINGBS, just GAMINGBS, then you can save 15% off your order, which will probably cover, I would think, your shipping. So, Pretty nice. Yeah. Let's see what else we got going. Gary Con, Sean and I will be there. I think I have security down myself for you to crash in with me, Sean, so we should be okay. Yeah. Can't wait. Every new convention that I stay with somebody different, it's just it's a new spooning experience. Well, it, I mean, it is going to be Wisconsin in March, so it'll be cold, so we'll have to cuddle. That's just how that works, because it's going to be cold. Yep. That's, how you, right. that's how you stay warm and stay alive. Yep, because if you can't come across the Tauntaun. Yeah, you, you got to buddy up, man. That's how this goes. 
That's right. So a um, little quick bit on the Avalon Kickstarter. As I've said before on the show, it's successful. And from a funding perspective, it is not successful yet until the goods are out the door. So uh, Christine, Zach, Phil Vecchian, and I met this last Monday, went through the plan, the schedule for how we're going to deliver all the extra stuff that's out there. If you are a backer, you should be getting your weekly updates. And if you miss those emails for whatever reason, or you just curious of what's going on, you can go to Kickstarter and every Friday encoded that is Phil, the project manager, master thereof, uh, post an update. So where we're at, what's going and so forth. And he's always on the little updates there. We try to grab some extra art images and stuff. So we got a nice bargeman image that Matt did. Matt Morrow put one together. It's a really cool looking piece. So that's out there. Stretch goals are getting cranked out. I just uh, don't mean to brag, but I just wrapped up the first cut at the uh, Firearms of Avalon official rule set. So that's going over to Chris to take a look at today. So nothing too heavy. Pretty simple to do, but we just got to make sure it's done and done right. So anyway, going really well. Um, All signs point to making deadlines, making things happen. So I am very pleased and I am, I, I think we're heading in the right direction. It's good. It's a good partnership and we keep kicking ass. So there we be. Um, let's see. Anything new from you, Sean? No. Okay. Did you run it? Did you game it all this last weekend? Did you game? I did not. I ran uh, my Ozark game for my two little kids. We had a blast yesterday. Oh. A lot of fun. They killed the, uh, they fought a Neo Autiog, fought that. They, um, um, appeased the spirit of a druid who had inhabited a big stone oak tree, appeased him, and then found a cursed furbolg, um, tomb that they went through, found out what the problem is, and it seems that the giants are doing something wicked. So they're pretty happy. Sounds incredible. I was kind to let them level up a couple times just because there's only, well, only two of them, and they're kids. Yeah. And the cool thing is this one, when they've got more power and you crush them, right, just you crush them, they feel all the worse. It's, it's a learning experience. It's growing up. It's growing up. That's how it is. Oh, you think you got it together? <laughs> think you got it together? Snowmageddon! House bills! <laughs> Flat tire. There you go. Student loan debt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember when I played D&D and killed all your characters? This is like yeah, this is just the, like that. It was toughening you it's up called, for real life. It's life, kids. Get used to disappointment. All right. <laughs> let's do random encounter. Let's go. All right. Random encounter. This is the point where we talk about from emails and voicemails, just like Morris mentioned in the intro. So we have a voicemail from Chris Shorb. Hey, Brett and Sean. It's Chris Shorb uh, listening to episode, well, episode X. I don't remember which one it is. You guys actually haven't even gotten to the topic yet, uh, so I don't even know what the uh, episode's about yet. But I had to respond to the announcement section uh, and some things in the in the random encounter Uh the random encounter stuff, the RPG that uh, is all underwater adventures, science fiction adventures, it's called Blue Planet. It was released by, I think the company was called Archipelago Press back in the 90s or maybe early 2000s. Um, interesting, interesting setting, uh, and uh, I've never gotten a chance to get it to the table, but I do own plenty of the books because I uh, posted on MeWe. Um, second point. Kids on bikes and all that. I have played Tales from the Loop. I had a good time. Uh, it was the GM's first time running a game. Um, it was a, it's a simple system. I think maybe in the hands of a more experienced GM, it could have been, uh, could have been 
a better overall gaming experience. But the rules were cool, and I did like the the players all drove some interaction between the players, kind of that high school drama. Um, totally agree, though. If it's not something you're even partially interested in, it may, you know, maybe it's worth a, a session or two just to try it out. I kind of, I felt like I had fun with it, um, but it's not something that I'm going to continue doing for a long time. Last thing on Kids on Bikes, uh, and I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but <laughs> I did run a GURPS game 20, 30 years ago where all the players were uh, in a summer camp, and uh, that was fun. Um, oh, yeah, going back to Underwater Adventures, Brett would love to hear, in reference to Underwater Adventures, uh, your experiences playing in the Avanti actual play that uh, was on the Mr. Edgar Martin Network. I was inspired uh, by Andy's running of that game. It was very cool, and uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened underwater, on top of the water, and uh, it'd be interesting to hear more about kind of your perspective and what, and maybe even have Andy on the show and she could talk about how she developed that, that world setting. Um, and then, oh, the final thing I wanted to talk about was your your rant, both of you, kind of ranting on how people who are in the gaming hobby, whether it's a game store or game publisher, are amateurs and not professional. And why don't they figure out all the places that they could send the a press release too. Well, you know, I, just one point is uh, recently N-World had a poll for the uh, best podcast of 2018. Gaming MBS came in eighth, by the way. Um, and there were 99 nominations, of which maybe I knew 10, 12. Oh, I think he got cut off. He's got that limit. Damn. I think, I think it was the, I think it's a three. Yeah, it's a three minute limit. Sorry, Chris. Chris, you gotta you gotta call us back and finish that finish that bit up for us. So I'm sure what he was saying was, look at all these podcasts that were nominated, and look how many people don't know about them. No, which is a fair point, and that's kind of yeah. where I think we probably tried to to leave it with. You know, it's probably a lot harder than we think it is. At least that's that's my stance today, right? I mean, you look at it and go, man, how come? But there's still something to be said with how certain things don't <laughs> – certain groups don't seem to take marketing seriously, at least from my perspective. There are firms that do things. There are people that are, have degrees in this and so on. And I know it's expensive. So anyway. I I looked back upon – after I said that, I looked back and thought, well, you know, maybe I was a little bit harsh and uh, even – uh, Michael Phillips on Google Plus mentioned it and said, hey, the problem is a lot of people find those emails pretty intrusive. Yep. Which which I agree, but you got to have, you got an opt-in. And I think is you got to provide some value, especially if you're a game store. You got to, you can't just, it's, it can't always be an advertisement every time you send out an email. But I think, you know, I want to try to get on, I think ACD's mail list, and I don't know if I can, but I want to get on theirs because I want to find out what's upcoming. And I think they let game stores know, and they send out a catalog that says, hey, here's the up-and-coming games. And then there may or may not be dates depending on how firm those are, but they've got kind of the inside track because they're a distributor, and they're here in Madison. But, yeah, so I may have been a little strong-armed on that whole thing. But well, it's always it's easy when you're on the outside going, damn it, how come 
you know, it's easy to rant about it. It is. It is. And I should say, I mean, the fact that the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast in that whole spiel of things was ranked number seven. Seven. And that's the 300 pound gorilla. That is, that's surprising and not surprising to me. And I, I think it's surprising because, I mean, it's D&D, the podcast. But I think some people may, and this is kind of tangentially kind of talks about the what we were t- complaining about, I was complaining about last episode about marketing and everything. But I think there are some people that see through, they may take it as a strictly just a marketing thing to push D&D. Oh, right? yeah, Where yeah. It's pu- right, there's an agenda. It's a house organ. This is what it's designed to do. It's like, drag, Correct. it's like Dragon Magazine. At a certain point back in the day, Dragon Magazine covered all sorts of games. Right. I have the 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 CD set that they put out before they got sued uh, for that. But anyway, it has like 250 issues in it, and they talked about games that TSR, ne- TSR never made. And um, then at a certain point, they changed it to be the house organ that it was, and hey, this is we're going to talk about games we do in nobody else's stuff. So anyway. But I think that... That there, it's almost like nowadays, if you say you were a game store or a game publisher like Brett, um, and he's got the official Avalon podcast. Well, this probably isn't a good example, but say no, Brett but you, has you a would, RPG line. You would assume to, to log into Steve Jackson's podcast to hear about Steve Jackson games. games. You would not log into Steve Jackson games to hear him talk about what Atlas Games is producing. While I agree with that, I also agree that if I'm a GURPS fan, mm. I may listen to GURPS fa- fan podcasts, then maybe just, well, that's probably not wholly accurate either. I just think that there is a bit of a, well, of course I'm going to get this from this episode or this podcast because it's from the publisher, right? So I think almost like... Uh, Spellburn podcast probably does more for DCC than if Joseph Goodman got on the mics and talked about DCC every day, all day. Yeah, there's a certain... You want to talk to an industry insider who is not part of the industry in some cases. It's that feel, right? I want to talk to somebody who knows somebody at Watsi who can tell me, hey, guess what I know? Or somebody who has an opinion about... A well-educated opinion, which is probably not us, but a well-educated opinion... Um, that will will say, hey, this is how I do this with this game or whatever it is. I don't necessarily want only the official stance on everything. I want something a little bit different. So right, right, all right, interesting. Yeah. So shall we next? Yeah, I have I have this up. Do you do you know do you have? It I up do in not. Won't you do it? I have I have it up in front of me. So Michael Drescher last episode. If you haven't heard it on two twenty six, go and check it. He talks about his game and angry GM and talking about D and D five E being too magic, too high powered as far as magic goes, high, high magic. And so he listened to it and then he got back to us to clarify some of the things that we brought up when we mentioned this. So yeah, I'll have a link to the Twitter thread, but he goes, so I'll read this off of tweet Twitter. Thanks for taking the time to address the question. I haven't been playing D&D for a while in favor of other systems, and in my random dredging of the RPG posts, I stumbled upon the angry GM. I'm not saying I agree. It just sparked the thought train. Okay, The angry GM who, had, who was quoted verbatim is clearly very bombastic. 
So for clarification, my definition of low magic isn't by volume of practitioners in the world, as Brett described, rather the practitioner's abilities profoundly limited. So it would be like a candle flame as opposed to a fireball, levitating a feather as opposed to holding person. That is level one magic in my world. No one's ever going to be able to cast Power Word Kill, Meteor Swarm, or Resurrection. Casting a Fireball 5e style in my world would be cast by like a level 10 caster, and even then, once per day and physically draining. Of course, this is presuming the characters are young adventurers. Never had someone play an aged wizard, although that would alter my stance slightly, in that they could cast bigger spells, but they'd still be taxing. I don't know. Like I said, I'm just tossing the idea around and enjoying, uh, enjoy your takes on it. Hope this helps to clarify. It does. That is actually pretty handy. And Michael, I think your clarification there is something that I think a lot of us, myself and Sean included, and I'll speak for Sean on this, but it, it helps to have that thought, that uh, that kind of self-awareness to say, what the hell do I really mean by it? Write it down if that helps you, however you can state what it is and say, this is what I really want. And do I want to tinker with a system or do I want a system that does this natively? If what Michael says, he looks at D&D 5e, you'd have to do some tinkering to make it do what Michael wants it to do based on what I know. And I would say, yeah, okay, Michael, totally. That game system, natively, no tinkering? Nah, not going to do what you want. Let's let's look for something else. And I think <clears throat> that's part of the reason that there are so many different game systems out there, right? Somebody wants a game system that does something natively that I don't have to fuck around with that takes care of this particular itch. It scratches that itch that I have and I want it to do this specific thing or whatever the case is. So anyway, I think that's a really good, there's a really good description, Michael. And uh, thank you so much for the clarification because that, that helps a lot. I think I could do it with 5e. Um, take a bit of work though. I have to do a little tinkering, tweaking and so forth, but it could be done. Which, yeah, and I agree. And thanks for clarifying. I, I would... You know, if you pitch that game to players, are you ruling out magic users and wizards and druids and all casters and clerics, or how are you limit, limiting them? And, you know, maybe, okay, so you haven't played 5e in a while, so that maybe, you know, that, then it's not a factor. You're, you play something mm-hmm. else. But, you know, I think positioning that, you know, if I, if I was player and I was like, oh, I want to really be a cool wizard – you know, and tying my shoes spell is pretty powerful. You're going to want to let them know that they're going to be pretty nerfed. Well, that's the whole uh, session zero, session negative right. one. Like, hey, y'all, this is the setting. This is the deal. And this is how magic functions. Yeah. No, it's good. I, I like the def- I like the clarification, Michael. And I think, as I said in the last episode, I knew if you were here, we had more back and forth We'd have come to this pretty freaking quick. Right. And said, oh, yeah, what you want to, yeah, could could I make it do that? Yes. Will it natively do that? I would say no. Based on your definition, your requirement for it? Nah. I I, I mean, the easiest way, if you want to do it natively. The easiest way to do it, I think, at 5e would be just to, you know, cantrips are not automatic and you can't memorize them all the time. No, he's talking, the cantrips are even too powerful. What he's talking about is. But I'm saying, you didn't let me finish, dude. I'm sorry. Then, then, then you take the damage that the cantrips do, and you say it only does quarter damage. Oh, or or half, right? Okay, yeah, that's one way to do it. Yeah, 
but there, I'm done now. Oh, fair, fair. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped on you. No, that makes sense. That was good. Michael, that was really good. Thank you, man. That was very, very succinct and to the point. I like it. Good job. What do we got next? <clears throat> Gabe, uh, Gabe Dying emails us and says, hey. Gabe says, hey, folks, as we wait for you to figure out what Michael Drescher um, might have meant by low magic. Ha! Gabe, he did that just above. You didn't know that, but here we go. I submit Cubicle 7's Adventures in Middle-Earth as an example how it might be done. I'm not sure about the DM or lore master side of the screen, but the PCs don't appear to have any access to magic outside of heels. I'm sure there must be a few more third-party 5e invention, innovations out there. I'm going to jump in. Gabe, you're right as hell. I have looked through Adventures in Middle-Earth by Cubicle 7 for 5e, and I did that did not come to my head, and it should have. Thank you very much for pointing that out, because yes, my memory of that is the same as yours. He continues, this might be answering a question that nobody has, has anymore, but I only assume, because of their names and some language use, that designers of Against the Dark Master are Italian. Recently, I encountered information that two of them are European, and a third resides somewhere in the States. Please encourage anyone interested in Against the Dark Master to visit a series of often critical analyses of the game's current quick start rules at rollmasterblog.com. Link in the notes, of course. Uh, Gabe continues, I've made this game my home campaign for a year, and I want to spread the word about it and interest in its upcoming Kickstarter. The link here is to the first in the series. Oh, yes, I wrote the series. <laughs> so we'll have a link there for that. Keep on BSing, BSers. Thanks, Gabe. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Um, when One of the things that Gabe did there, one, reminded us of Adventures Miller. Thank you very much. Uh, all of you listeners, you men and women that have hit us back with stuff, say, hey, what about? Don't forget Thank you so much. There's a ton of games out there, Sean. I can't remember them all. And um, Against the Dark Master, I've not even heard of that before, Gabe. So thank you for bringing that up. I love it when our listeners throw that stuff at us because there's some really, really cool stuff out there that, <laughs> to our earlier rants, I don't even know about because I just haven't found out. So this is a great way um, to at least educate Sean and me about it. So thank you so much, man. Over to you, sir. All right. Matt V leaves a comment on episode 226. On the gaming industry, totally agree, but it's a problem that's quite often known. Many small guys I talk to about branching out and putting on a market marketing hat, and they act like that's evil. I've found it's often a purist-type thing, like it would be wrong for me to find better avenues to market. You're right on RPG newsletters, though people who make board games and card games I'm subscribed to always hit me with marketing. This could actually be a solid niche, which could be useful to fill in the gaming industry. So on low magic, so he's just referencing Michael. I suspect if you asked a handful of people, you'd get a wide range of answers on what low magic is. You can't really divorce high magic from D&D, however. The system is reliant on healing magic, which in my, own, my opinion already throws out low magic. When you can sit around with a wand after every combat and fully heal and doesn't count, and it doesn't feel like low magic. It seems like you all, like you all didn't li even listen to what he wrote there. He specifically said smaller spells, i.e. spell power reduction. I've done so in Pathfinder where spells capped at 4th level and then higher level casters could metamagic those higher level spell slots. Even there, I don't think it really felt like a low magic system. You need a robust system that can handle all those little things for a true low magic system. Generally, most generic systems can do so. You could also use a system like L5R 
or even Shadowrun where magic comes with a pretty heavy cost, therefore making it burdensome. D&D, while technically possible to pull that feel into, would would be a colossal task and your time would be much better spent on a system that does what you're trying to do. And Dark Sun. Magic is rare, but it's actually a very high-level magic campaign. It was one of the first settings to have 10th-level spells. It goes on, I love Obsidian Portal and use it every game. I I incentivize my players to keep a journal with small bonuses, which I then post the best as a log so I can review the game games years later. It's fun to look at what you did a decade ago and remember how awesome it was. Way better than rehashing that game again. Matt, I'll tell you, man, that's 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 good. And it is easy to, when you get something back, when you have a listener or anybody writes in or gives you a statement or a perspective, to miss a piece. And yeah, it does look like we definitely did miss part of what Michael was trying to get to. And Michael was kind enough to, as we just read earlier, to reiterate and further clarify for Sean and I. And I think you're right. You know, if, if we talk about, we ask a handful of people, I could get different answers on low magic. Your answer, I think, is actually slightly different than um, than Michael's and it's different than mine. So yeah, I think what you've what you've written there is, is solid, and I like I like the approach. I would also say when you say generic systems, it brings to mind uh, GURPS or basic role playing, or some of those because of kind of how 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 um, what do I want to say? It deals with healing and stuff in kind of a quote quote unquote realistic or quasi realistic way, and um, it's a little bit easier to pick and choose through some of the magic powers and such. So. Nice though, man. That was good, and thank you for the update on Dark Sun. I've forgotten about it, but you are correct. That was uh, first setting that did have the tenth level spells, which is pretty freaking powerful. You good, Sean? Any comments on that one? No, Matt. Matt did a pretty good recap, which I appreciate. No. That was good stuff. Very insightful. Yep. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. What do we got next? Ah, Stefan Dragonspawn. Hello again, my sexy BSers. Yes, you were right, Brett. I do have discerning and impeccable tastes, so you are indeed both sexy gamers. But to the real meat of this email, when you read Goblin Henchman's letter on episode 226, he commented about the episode on waterborne adventures. He mentioned things happening underwater. I was thinking, have you ever heard of someone running a game, one shot story, a long story arc that happens all below the waves with perhaps aquatic races? What I know of Blue Planet RPG is that it's a sci-fi setting hundreds of years into the future on another planet where humans are genetically modified and one can play uplifted dolphins and orcas. This piqued my own curiosity and now thinking I should try a game where the players are various aquatic beings, merfolks, tritons, and or uh, sawaheen, um, but in a more fantasy setting as opposed to Blue Planet. In such a setting, no need to worry about drowning anymore, but how? But now 3D combat must be considered, and some weapons may not be very useful. How about communication? How do merfolk talk? Telepathy, ultrasonic sounds like dolphins, sign language? If magic is part of the setting, then some effects cannot be invoked. No fireballs for you, for example. But others may work quite differently. Maybe this is another topic. I may not have covered all the aspects of an underwater setting. Hmm. You know, Stefan, this one and uh, I got a little bit after that one and then Chris Sharp's piece and yours there. I have, um, I could, I can go back and um, I can think about the uh, the Avanti game that I was a participant in. There was a lot of waterborne. We did go underwater and had to have to deal with some of that stuff. Um, that's a very high magic setting that Andy has created there. Her Her setting is incredibly high magic. Um, so going underwater and talking to fish and doing this stuff was natural or normal for uh, how the setting was, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't, apart from this podcast and you folks writing in and talking about it, I've never had anybody say to me, Hey, we should run a game underwater. 
It's never come up. However, I think it, even if it's not an entire campaign, um, Andy's game, um, uh, the Avanti game she ran for us, was not this on the Wednesday evening uh, podcast actual play. That was not all of the campaign was not all underwater. There's plenty of above water on ships and so forth. There's waterborne or seafaring type stuff. I think having underwater stuff is really cool. And there were chunks of it that had to take place underwater. And because of that, we got the flavor of it. We got to dive, haha, dive in um, to that, to that piece of it, but it wasn't the only thing to do, you know, where um, I think that to me, just a quick perspective, that made that aspect of it all the more cool to participate in as opposed to something I had to tactically figure out how everything worked. You know, it just, it was interesting. It was evocative of how things would function and so forth, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like oppressively, this is, you're stuck underwater and you can never leave and everything you know or understood about gaming before is wrong <laughs> type of thing. It was, it was a good flavor. It was a good change of pace, I guess is another way to put it. Sean, we talked about this last night. You haven't done any hardcore underwater gaming, have you? No, and I think I would I would run it like you mentioned in your uh, live play. Um, I would have it maybe as a segment to offer players, but I, I don't personally have an interest in running a full world based underwater. Hmm. <laughs> I think it would be cool. I mean, you could do... I think for me, uh, the League of an Extraordinary Gentleman with um, what's his name, Captain Nemo, right? Yeah. The the how many leagues under the sea? Twenty thousand. Yeah, that would be kind of cool, but it would be. It's a component of a larger campaign. It's the it's the phase, the chapter is what you're talking about. Well, that that actual concept, you know. Um, how many thousands of leagues under the sea? I think it's 20,000. 20,000? I don't even know the name of the book. 20,000 leagues under the sea would interest me if it was more almost set in steampunk and you're going underneath into the ocean and that becomes the setting itself. But as you go through the sea, maybe you come across parts that actually are dry, but it's underneath the water somewhere. So you have this still concept of you know, it's like journey to the center of the earth kind of thing yep. or hollow earth, but instead you're just surrounded by water. But I would still have it as a component as being a member of a um, submarine type vehicle. Right. No, I don't, no, that's me. I like it. But that's me. Yeah. Interesting. That's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just go full on Jules Verne and we'll just do a journey to the center of the earth plus 20,000 leagues under the sea. We'll do it all at once. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We'll take a submarine to the center of the earth. Right. Hollow Earth underwater. Yes. Love it. There you go. Done. <laughs> and next Kickstarter. <laughs> next Kickstarter. Com- coming that just to you. didn't seem to kick, kick at all. I don't know what that's about. Anyway, Sean, over to you, sir. Uh, Ty Prunty suggests an underwater setting game. You talked about wanting to find an underwater RPG. Here's one from Fate Core called Deep Dark Blue. So we'll have a link in the show notes. For deep dark blue, if you're interested, I tell you, man, when I say golden age of gaming, I am not fucking kidding. There is an underwater RPG for Fate Core. <laughs> Somebody wrote this. It's out there. You can find it. That's awesome. That is really cool. Thank you, Ty. I appreciate you writing that in. And then, uh, since that was so short, Michael Phillips, I, I think I hinted to this, commented on Google Plus. Mm-hmm. 
about so he mentioned how and I'll just quote him here. So game companies used to do a lot more of those unsolicited email blasts and they generate a lot of ill will. There are good reasons that most announcement routes these days are opt in. Oh, absolutely got to be opt in. No question about it. Um, so voicemail annou- or email announcements get more ignored than social media ones. And the two Madison game stores I pay attention to because I'm a cyclist and they're on my side of town, both actively engage via social media instead of the 90s tech newsletters. Well, yep, they do. But I wonder why. Is it because they're not, they don't get the response? I don't know. Or or they just don't do it because they don't have time, they don't have the knowledge. I'll tell you, man. They don't have the content. R- uh, you know. Running a small gaming convention, you know, you know, basically a thousand person con, it's not huge. But it is weird on how to get the word out to people. Right? Game Hole Con in Madison, Wisconsin. There are gamers that are here in Madison, Wisconsin that I bump into every year. And we talk, oh, hey, your game. Yeah, I game too. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Hey, what do you get? What do you play? So on and so forth. Hey, are you coming to Game Hole Con this year? What? Game Hole yeah. Con. It's in Madison. It takes over the Alliance Energy Center. It's the biggest gaming convention in Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, I never heard of it. Yeah. Is it new? That's, this will be its sixth year. Really? Yeah. I am positive, unless you heard Gen Con in Indy, and where everybody right. goes, hey, there's 60,000 people coming to town. People pay attention to that. But it, there's events like that that people don't know about. And I'm not saying, and I think to kind of backpedal a bit, if you will, neither Sean nor I would say marketing is easy. It's just simply, it, it, I don't know what method would work the best to reach gamers. I just don't know. I don't know because I'll hear, oh, social media, ah, all you have to do is do a tweet. All you have to do is this. All you have to is that. And I think by the all you have to, or it's as easy as, cheapens the fact that people spend a lot of time and money in marketing trying to figure out just how the hell to reach people because it's not easy. It isn't. Word of mouth, unfortunately, or fortunately perhaps, is still one of the better ways for games and things to, to happen. I know for a fact a lot of our listeners, oh, a friend of mine listened to it and told me about it. That's a lot of how we get spread around. You know, right. you talk to somebody right. who listened to you and then told somebody they liked it. And uh, it's it's interesting. But good points, Michael. That's a very it's good it's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Ryan B. Hello, Brett and Sean. First off, Sean, have I ever told you that the audio quality of your podcast is great? No? Well, it's great. So good work. I'm no audio expert, but I do like it when everyone in the podcast sounds like they're in the same room, turns and glares at Oh no. Oh, he glares at a couple others. <laughs> so oh. We won't mention I'm not going to go off. I'm not going to. They're, not gonna do they're it. friends not of ours. Do it. And not going to do it. He, he's still looking. But, well, th- Ryan, thank you. I take great pride in our audio because I've spent a lot of money to do it. And I, I will refrain from going into more detail. But <laughs> I, I do appreciate that very much. Thank you. He continues. Ryan continues. Also, congrats, Brett, on his successful Kickstarter. I have to admit, though, I'm more excited for his next one, Guys in the Woods, the one where grizzled old hunters survive in the forest during the calamity of a robot uprising. Can't wait. That's actually not a bad idea. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> totally up Brett's alley. It is. That's, that's, that might be too close to home. It might be. Not only do I yeah. hate robots, but I like hanging out in the woods. So this is right. all good. 
Yeah. Anyway, I'm mostly writing you to toss a discussion piece or future topic idea at you. I've been thinking a lot about character creation in gaming and how it varies from system to system and also how trendy it seems to have become to write up extensive background stories for your new character while mixing and matching the most unique race and class combo you can think of. Players really get to exercise their creativity these days, and that's pretty cool. My thoughts on this are twofold, though. I've been a big fan of creative character creation over my many years of gaming, 30-plus, in both tabletop RPGs and video games. It's definitely a joy to explore all the possibilities out there. But as I get older, I've been thinking more and more about how beginning a game with a well-fleshed-out character may not be as fun as starting with a nobody and making them into somebody via adventuring. Perhaps. It's been my recent interest in DCC that's really made me question if I always want to invest heavily in a character creation at the beginning or if I want to find out who the character really is via play. I know there's no right or wrong way to do this, but I still think it's a fun topic for discussion. For example, why would a first-level character start a campaign as a somebody with a long history or a dark past? They're only level one! Also, if a player has an extensive background written up for their new rogue or paladin, and then does that character sheet live up to the background right out of the gate? My, talon, my paladin's been in service to the patron for 10 years, but she can only hit with a plus two? Human nature is a way of tricking our brains into thinking the more options you have, the more creativity you can unleash. I would say in nearly every case, less is always more. That's all I got. Thank you for a great show, Ryan B. Ryan, as I started to read that, I went, oh, he's got to be talking about DCC, kind of that old schooler approach. And ah, there it is. Ah, there it is. But yeah, there is. It's another way to go about it. And I know, um, I think Tim DeShane and I were talking about this one time. And I know Hobbs and I have talked about it, that concept of developing your character in play instead of coming in with a preconceived notion of who that character is, you know, instead of saying she grew up this way, this way, this way, so on, so forth, so on, but finding out through play, Hey, you know what? Um, she's a, she's a fighter. And it turns out what's really cool is to be from this Island because guess what? It's a waterborne adventure. And uh, you just realized this Island happens to be a really cool place to be from or, or whatever the case is. So that, that exploring during play is a style of gaming that I think is, is really cool. And I think it's something people should try because it's um it's a different way to do it. It's an older way to do it, but it's also got some got some really strong points, I think. Sean, what are you thinking? I do I do see the strengths of doing it while while you play. Absolutely. Um the paladin in service for ten years but only hit with a plus two. I understand that angle, but at the same time you could look at, I mean, look at the stupid hobbits in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. They're, they're like level, they start out level zero farmers. And then at the end, man, they're taking on Shelob, man. Yeah, stab her in the face. Right. So I think that one could justify that swing over time while you're adventuring. You're doing stuff that you never did before. You're foraging and you're probably tracking and going through the woods and becoming better at certain things. Where if you're like a cleric or a paladin that may be in the church every day, all day, and just blessing water all day, maybe you don't you don't level up. You know, there's this kind of goes to I think what I was ranting at or around Michael's original email to us last last week was if you're if we're talking D and D for a second, if the character classes 
are only available to player character or NPCs of note, and not everybody can. It's kind of the difference between mooks and what's the other, um, what's the thing in Savage Worlds? What are they called? Special characters that their PCs, they're, what are they called? You play Savage Worlds. Wild, Wild cards. cards. Thank you. They're named usually named, and they get a wild die. And important. Right. Everybody else is effectively a mook around you. If you have a knight, he's not a paladin. He can be a knight of a holy order, but he's not a paladin. Your paladins kick ass because he or she may be the only person in their entire unit who actually has that plus two to hit. And they're blessed by their god and they can do all these things. Or they're, you know... I guess even if they're level one, even if they're level one, they're, level they're one, still they, badass because they have can, a thing yeah. that nobody else around them has. And I guess that's where, where my differentiator or way to differentiate low magic or the importance of some of those things comes into play is by eliminating the fact that, oh, this church has five priests. Well, they're all obviously first level clerics, at least. No, they're not. They're just priests. They're just NPC priests with no access to spells. They have not been right. blessed by their God. They just haven't. You, a cleric of, you know, Obed High, you can do this. The other the other priests priest and druids, no, they, they worship and they pray really hard and they do their best to live up to Obed High and everything that Obed High says, but they just haven't received that blessing. And when you do that, you limit the amount of magic that's in the world, the amount of power and so forth, and also, from my perspective, helps to make the uh, the character pretty powerful and pretty cool. However, that's a bit of a Bit of a side piece, but that's a that's something, Ryan. That what your comments made me think of that yet again. So, anyway, yeah, and I do appreciate the fact that you know you could have players say, "Okay, we're not going to do character backgrounds." They're just, and I understand they may not be relevant to what you're playing, and as you play them, they become relevant. So you could always say, "Well, why do you know this?" Well, because I grew up in this big city, and then you just dynamically bring that up in the adventure versus, "Well, I wrote it down on my character sheet and." Oh, I, as a game master, can recognize that and say, Brett, your guy knows this because you grew up in the big city versus just doing it on the fly. So I think it's also highly possible, and I'll leave, I'll shut up after this, that you could have a table of four or five gamers. You could have one of them decide that they want to write the backstory, and everybody else says they'll make it up as they go, like that. Or you could do it the other way, or any, any number of mix and match. You could have a group of people that says, look, I don't like to have the detailed background for my character. Can I do this, you know, develop through play? Absolutely, I would say. And somebody else says, no, I really want to write the backup. You, absolutely. Do whatever helps you make your character cool. And I would not see a problem doing that. Yeah. Anyway, cool. Thanks, Ryan. That was that was good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Over to you, Sean. DM Kojo goes back to episode 53. Good Lord, Kojo. Holy cow, man. Yeah, so some of our audio has not always been that great. No. So I think you, Gojo may be venturing on some of that audio that's pretty, maybe mediocre. Well, let's, let's um, see how angry he is. <laughs> I continue to work through the back catalog of episodes and recently finished number 53 about the challenge of killing PCs. This is a subject near and dear to my heart. I don't consider myself a killer DM by any means, but I do believe that PC death needs to be a decent possibility in order to keep the players on their toes. Oh, yeah, man, you got it. <laughs> Preach it, brother. You can't let these players think they're immortal just because you're you're not going to it's going to pull a punch or something. Hey, right, Brett? Exactly. You got to bring the hammer down. Hit them and hit them hard. That's why, hey, 
spoiler alert, the guys in my Edge of the Empire, they just made up characters that are all going to die in the first five minutes of the game, and then we're going to have to re-roll new player characters, Brett. (laughs) They never knew it was coming. Anyways, I'm kidding, guys. Don't throw your stuff away yet. Um, Let's see. However, I don't usually... Oh, here we go. Uh, I lost my place. But I do believe blah, blah, blah. Then what is... Okay, then what's the reward? However, I don't usually subscribe to the old school save or die mentality either. I find that I prefer games with a balance. As you know, my favorite fantasy RPG is DCC RPG. DCC, Dungeon Crawl Classics, has a reputation for deadliness, but I wanted to point out that this is somewhat circumstantial. In the character Funnel Adventures, this is true. So for those that aren't familiar with DCC, we've touched on it way back with Jen Brinkman. You start out as zero-level commoners, like no classes, nothing. That's the funnel, and you have about four or five of them, and then whoever lives goes on to actually become level one characters in a particular race or class. I continue. In... The character Funnel Adventures, this is true, as the goal is to whittle down your group of peasants to one character that will level up and become a hero. I love this part of the game. However, once PCs move to level 1, they become much more difficult to kill. DCC has some mechanics to mitigate the deadly nature of the game. First, players reduced to 0 hit points can be saved if they are healed by at least 1 hit point within a number of rounds equal to their level. I find that this that it is rare that the cleric can't get to them can't get to them by then. Second, even upon failing to do this first option, the players could be saved by the player characters, not players. Kojo. Yeah, you can't save players, man. You can't save players. Well, maybe Kojo, will, maybe Kojo's got skills we don't know. Anyway, carry on. That's true. He is a school teacher mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. may have taught himself how to save players, but in this instance he's referring to the characters could be saved by rolling the body over, which constitutes making a roll equal to or under their luck stat, which brings them back at one hit point. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's an actual mechanic in the game. I felt it is worth mentioning because DCC gets a reputation as a game featuring uh, capricious death of PCs and unfit for campaign play. My experience has shown that not to be the case at all. Thanks, Kojo. I would agree with you, Kojo, 100%. I ran a campaign of DCC. It was not a overly long-lived campaign, but we went from funnel all the way up to, you know, kind of save the world type of thing. Relative quickness. It was a fun, it was a fun short spurt of a campaign, but yeah, we it was fun. It was a hell of a good time. It, yeah, I wouldn't. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I love, you, you called out the different pieces and parts that I think are very important there because, yeah, you get, you get the hell murdered out of you in the funnel. But after that, it gets a lot harder. That's when you become that named player character. You know, I know guys that play um, DCC. I should say men and women who play DCC, DCC that have told me that they don't bother naming <laughs> their funnel characters until they get one of them at the end. Then they call, okay, this one's Billy. This one's, you know, Marjorie the Invincible or whatever they name that character. Like, all right, cool. That's uh, It's old number one or number old number two. They don't bother to name them. I find it I find it intriguing or interesting about how you look at a particular game and determine whether it is you know deadly and lethal versus not. And then there so there are people out there that 5 5E will say, 
oh, you can totally kill player characters. You know, it's totally lethal. You know, and I have to say at the beginning, like in the Lost Mine of Fandelver, man, when you like the first exposure to 5e and I had goblins tack the party, man, I put three of them down. Boom, boom, boom. Right. They didn't all die. But I mean, in some other games I've run, that would never. No, no, come on. That doesn't happen. So it's interesting, like where and then Kojo mentions about DCC and rolling the character. But then you flip it over and somebody else is like, oh, man, DCC, it's just a meat grinder. So it's it's just perspective. or I think when you have critical hits and some of those things, you've got crit charts and stuff, there is a possibility for instant death. Oh, some sure. Of stuff. But in D&D 5e, I think there is, I can't remember the rule for, basically massive damage that can gack you yeah. at the right time. I have also had in 5e, my bad guys aren't stupid. So to... Uh, Quote Matt Colville, the earth elemental steps on your head to make sure you're dead. Yeah, that's an automatic two death save fail. Yeah. <laughs> so if you failed one and then uh, they just come up and step on your head, uh, and you take more damage you're while, you, while you're while you taking death saves, you automatically take two more. Yeah, so I've, I have uh, had the bad guys curb stomp the unconscious good guys because, hey, yeah. they're bad guys and they play to win too. Yeah. Interesting. Good times. All right, cool. Uh, what do we got here? That was Kojo. And next up, I think, and what do we got here? Ron B. Comments on episode 225, Chases. Great episode. I like it when you guys dig down into the very foundation of RPG gaming concept. In this case, you put forth what a chase should be. Exciting, fast-paced, and suspenseful. Once you accept that insight, you can work with the mechanics of a game to produce the experience. After listening to your podcast, I checked out some chase scenes on YouTube. As I watched, my mind... Converting the scene to gaming, i.e. she has initiative, he made that ability roll to overcome that obstacle, even though he caught up to her, he didn't make the roll with the modifiers in order to grab the halfling. There's some examples that stood out to me. They're fairly simple and straightforward with uh, Elastigirl's chase being more like a race. He's got some links here. Fellowship of the Rings chase scene, a bullet chase scene, Born Legacy chase scenes, Incredibles, and Incredibles 2. I have links in the show notes there. Keep up the great BS. P.S. Notice how many times they reuse the green VW Beetle tight in bullet. <laughs> I haven't seen that one in a while, but I should see that again. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, man. Good stuff, Ron. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Over to you, Sean. Tony Sugarloaf Baker poses a question on Google+. Plus: Perception in OSR. So how do you handle scene description? If the players ask about something, do they know? For example, a group of bandits is over the next rise in a location that looks like it could be a good ambush location. How could you facilitate the player's ability to find out about this ambush or not and blunder into it? So, Brett, how do you handle that? All right. Hang on, something broke at work. I gotta fix it. There we go. Um, Let's see. He's configuring a router, ladies and gentlemen. Fuck, no, no, you do not want me <laughs> doing that. I'm asking somebody else, have you configured the router yet? Please get off your ass and configure the router. A, he's in an access control list yeah, that's, uh, allowing an IP address. That's what you need me to Oh, my God, that'd be so terrible. I think this, this, my peer in security would walk over and slap me. Anyway, how do we handle a scene description at Banner's Next Rise location? <sighs> so, depending on what the players are doing, Right. Right. So if they if they say, yeah, we're just traveling through, they're not paying any attention. In OSR style game, what I would be I would be like, Sean and the group are you're wandering down. Yeah, we're just trying to haul ass to the next ridge. Okay. You're hauling ass. 
um, roll for surprise. And hey, surprise, they got you. And if you make the surprise roll, then hey, guess what? They didn't surprise you and you notice or you hear the sound of, you know, the string being pulled back or the, the steel clinking into the rock and the bandits somehow make themselves known. In OSR games like that, I use the surprise mechanism to, if there's something like that ambush, that specific thing, um, because that's what it is. Can you surprise me or not? If you're out in the woods, good luck surprising the ranger. <laughs> I mean, that was my daughter's playing a ranger, and holy shit, they're hard to surprise outside. You know, as they should be. So that's how that's how I do that. Um, so the other thing now, if you're talking about other descriptions, like if you're walking down a dungeon um, corridor and no one's bothering to search, if they're not looking, if they don't tell me what they're looking for, they have a harder time. Your thief, of course, has spot traps, looking for this, looking for that. Your dwarf um, and gnomes have sloping passages and so on. So I have them use those racial or class skills or bonuses or, or feats, however you want to def- define them, to help um, help them find stuff perception-wise. If it comes down to, you know, how do they spot the key that's sitting on top of the mantelpiece covered in dust? If they don't search the mantle, they don't find it. I don't say, well, make a wisdom check to see if you spot something. Nope. If you do not bother to tell me that you're searching the mantelpiece and dusting and looking for things, you're not going to find it. But when it comes to an ambush or, you know, bad guys jumping out at you or basically being surprised by something potentially deadly, you know, surprise check. Traps, a little bit different. Sometimes the trap, what I will do is if it's a pit trap, you step on it. I, w- I have in the past used the, you know, roll surprise. If you fail, you just fall. If you make it, I might give you a saving throw of against paralyzation or something or dragon's breath or whatever may be appropriate to potentially jump out of the way or take partial damage from the trap, depending on what it is. Or sometimes, not too fucking bad, that's that's the nature of a trap. Kid, you missed it, you get stabbed. Sean, what do you think of that? So I think it's key to understand how you as a DM or GM run an OSR style type game. And so I would do what Brett does, right? The perception piece. Of course you do. It's brilliant. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Now, now with what, but I would explain when you start an OSR game, you would, you have to tell the players like, okay, here's the, here's the deal. In some games it is, and so this could be argued too, because some people are going to go, no, no, Sean, you know, I'm a ranger. I should know this intuitively as I'm frolicking through the woods. It's always me and I'm always alert because I'm always- No one is always alert. I'm always doing this because I, that's who I am. That's like the thief saying, I would never fall into a pit trap because I'm always checking for pit traps. Okay. Yes, you will get that argument. But anyways, what I would say is, you have to let the players know that it's not going to assume what the result is and what you're doing based on a die roll in like some systems. So you have to tell me what you're doing. So if I say, hey, you're along a path and you're going down this path in the woods, what are you doing? And if the characters tell say it like Brett, hey, we're just rushing to get to the next location, blah, 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 blah. You know, give maybe the surprise check. Or you just, boom, there's an ambush. Now, if they're good OSR players, they could say, well, I'm a ranger, so I'm going to go up and scout. Yeah, I mean, so a real-life example, I hunt. 
I have been walking from my truck to my deer stand or in the woods, walking from point A to point B, still hunting, basically stalking, tracking. And I cannot count the number of times I've been surprised by something in the woods. I'm tracking a deer. I'm looking at the blood. I'm watching its footsteps here, here, here. I hear a noise. I look up and there it is. Are you kidding me? I was head down for just a little bit too long. It doesn't matter how good I am or how, how many years I've been doing it. There's always a chance of being surprised or this concept of, oh, I'm, I'm a hunter, so therefore I'm always hunting when I'm in the woods. Bullshit. I'm a thief, so I'm always thiefing all the time and permanently, constantly aware. Bullshit. That does, doesn't work. That's not, that's not how that, that's not how any of this works. Sorry. But at the same time, if that person is, hey, I'm up, you know, 100 yards in front of the group, slinking around the woods, not on the same path, and they're telling you certain things that they're doing in order to spot things ahead, mm-hmm. make sure they're not surprised, man, let let them come across the ambush. Absolutely. Let them see it. Yep. You see X amount of feet ahead of you off to your left because you're off the path. You see five little, five creatures stirring about in the bushes. Yeah. You, it's obvious a ambush and you're- party is heading right towards give me something to work with right and i will work with you yeah that's osr man that's you know i get into a room okay i search the room great what are you doing where are you searching what are you looking at okay i toss the mattress i slice it open with a knife or a dagger feathers are everywhere i open the chest i dump out the drawers okay something you know hits you in the foot and rolls across the floor and sounds like metal like there is no roll you just but if they just say, well, um, I don't know, kind of look around, uh, you don't find anything. Yep. Nothing really of interest. You know? Yeah, we've talked about that before when we talk kind of the, the search and so forth. And I just, it's, you've got to give me something to work with. What are you doing? You know, and sometimes to get people ready is that it's not ambushed by goblins or bandits. It's, you know, a herd of deer bust out, scared the crap out of you. Oh my God. Didn't know that was there. Yep, well, you really weren't paying attention. You know, you're looking through the dungeon, you miss something, or something stupid happens. It doesn't always have to be fatal. You don't have to teach lessons about how to be descriptive and how to game like that um, through pain. <laughs> but basically, short version, give me something to work with, and I will work with you right back. All right. That was good, man. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, thanks, Tony. All right, what do we got here? Crim fan commented on chases been a bit since i've checked it uh able to excuse me it's been a bit since i've been able to check you guys out great show topic generally what i've done for many years to have skill challenge type mechanic like brett describes where the object is to accumulate say five successes on top of the opponent the one fling gets five successes escape when chasing gets five they catch up i look at the chase mechanics in 5e which i didn't know was there but i suspect there are things in it that might be worth pillaging, though, such as incorporating fatigue as a resource. One problem that can happen is if you have a chase happening with regular combat, such as PCs driving and another shooting, it can end up being really boring for the player who's making a skill check now and again while everyone else is making full, full-on full attacks. The time per turn can feel really disproportionate. This happens in other areas, too, which is why I like combat turns to stay fast, but it's crucial in the chase. Also, interaction with maps can be an issue, too. I found a tactical showing relative position helps a lot, but that a full-on combat map is trouble. I've not run on, 
I've not run one online, but it would be even slightly more challenging there without an abstract system of some sort. Sean's idea of Slapjack is a good one, but one glaring problem is the presence of online players. However, I wonder if there's any way to mimic the general feel of Slapjack with dice system. I don't know for sure, but I would uh, I will try to think of some ways. I bet a game that features a lot of chasing or the like would be fun if there were different kinds of event cards that the players could play or to simulate the shit happens factor. I'll give it some more thought. Well, Crimfan has produced a lot of really cool stuff when he gives us some thought. He <laughs> gives us back some pretty neat ideas. So, cool. Thank you, Crim. Good to hear from you again. Hope things are going well. Yeah. Back to you, Sean. Goblin's Henchman. This one uh, is a little older, but uh, I heard that you are probably going to talk about chase mechanics in the next episode, so that tells you how long ago it was. I came up with this idea for a chase and pursuit mechanic based on a 2D6 19 hex flower. See attached image, which obviously you can't see right now. If you want to know more about the 2D6 hex power flowers work in general, please see below link. And so it is to a WordPress... And I think it's public, so we will put that out for everybody to view. And that you want to talk somebody who knows OSR, I mean old school type of mechanics and feel and stuff, everything the henchman puts out fits nicely into that space. So as always, yeah. Mr. Henchman, well done, sir. Well done indeed. And shout out to Jessica. You're welcome. All right. That's it, man. Holy bejeepers. That was long, dude. That's a lot of random encounter, man. That's a lot of a lot of encounters. Yeah, it is. Are we are we at a point? Should we not do the topic? Are we too? Uh, I, we could we could forego it. I think we might have to. Let's just uh, jump. We, let's just jump into some of the listener feedback, and we'll have to come back to this topic next week. That's fine with me. Yeah, that was a hefty random encounter, and I don't want to uh, short the topic a little bit. So let's push it out. All right. Uh, should we do die roll? Yes, do die roll. All right, do die roll. All right, so Brett and I, neither one of us have really done any die rolls here today. That's okay, but our listeners came in for us. So Josh, uh, Eves pointed out a campaign manager. We were talking about campaign manager. We're talking a little bit about Obsidian Portal and other things. And same page tool, link in the show notes, is one that Josh pointed out to us. I gave it a quick glance. like, damn, that looks pretty freaking cool. I've not dug into it any further, but Josh, thank you so much. Any and all tools like this, I encourage folks to take a look at it. You may try it, play with it, and go, ah. Hate it. Ah, I hate that one. Keep trying. You never know. You're, or you'll find a thing like, hey, this works. The only way to make sure some of these tools, if they're going to work for you or not, is to try them in real life. You got to get out there, say, hey, I'm going to give this same page tool or Obsidian Portal or whatever it is a go and give it an honest go and see how it goes. So there you be. I use the word go a lot there. So anyway, Shane Freeman pointed us towards an awesome appendix end link on Project Gutenberg and the Open Library. Shane had uh, called out on me. We said, hey, I was wondering if there was a nice list of Appendix N reading, you know, all the different stuff um, that is the old Appendix N from uh, the AD&D DMG, where Gary Gygax listed all these different books and things, um, Conan and Tolkien and Far From the Grey Mauser stories that he liked or used as inspiration. And by God, Shane's got a list. So link in the show notes, sharing that out to folks who haven't seen it on MeWe. And uh, let's see here. We've got the, the rest. The rest. The rest are from the random encounters. Yeah, so we got the Rollmaster blog and the YouTube link. So there we be. Yeah. So now we're. <laughs> so next week we're going to talk about. Next week we're going to have to go back to tactical combat movement. 
We're after to hit that one hard, and then after that, we'll go on to things you cannot know, dealing with the unexplained and unexplainable. With Brett trying to come up with some good topics well, to talk about. Well, you've been shaming me with better things, so I've got to <laughs> up my game. Brett, Brett's been put on the back burner, man, because he's like, okay. Yeah, I've been on my heels for a bit. Now i got to step it up, get back in the game here. Well, hey, sorry to call the audible at the last minute, folks, but certainly you've got things to do and people to see, and so we will address the topic next week and probably have very little random encounters to, to, to address <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, we'll get to it next week in episode 228 about tactical combat, right? Tactical combat or just tactical? Tactical combat. We'll talk about tactical yeah. combat, tactical encounters, basically combat stuff. So that's yeah. what we're going to talk about. Brett's in Pathfinder mode. Yeah, I got to dig up some of the tricks and things I'm doing. So let's uh, we'll hash it back out, man. I am interested to pick your brain, Brett, because you are... To me, you are not overly tactical guy. No, I'm not, and that's part of what I want to talk about. <laughs> you know, basically, and, your, and your group is like oh, picking a game because it's. Oh, tactical. they're good at it too. These guys play yeah. Warhammer Fantasy. They and War and they, no, they're tactical good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us uh, and write everybody that's written in, and thanks for spreading the word and thanks for voting for us and we'll just. Gosh, gone it. Thanks for being you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, everyone. Good to see you. Good to hear from you all. Good night and good gaming. Yeah, good night and good gaming all. Uh-huh. You almost got me. Almost did it on me. <laughs> this episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Hawk Sparrow, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Brasslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Maurice Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Chad Glayman, Finoff, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.